Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Mark Litwak is a veteran entertainment attorney and founder of the law offices of Mark Litwak, an associate based in Los Angeles. His practice includes work in the areas of copyright, trademark, contract, multimedia law, intellectual property, and book publishing. As a producer's representative, he assists filmmakers in arranging financing, marketing, and distribution of their films. He also testifies as an expert witness in motion picture industry cases. Mark has packaged movie projects and served as executive producer on many feature films. He has provided legal services or worked as a producer rep on more than 200 feature films. He is a production counsel for numerous television and new media series, including several Netflix series. He's the author of six books that are all important for filmmakers. And Mark has been a donor to the Roy Dean Film Grant for many years, right, Carol? Yes. Mark is always supporting filmmakers with seminars. And Claire, his books are invaluable to the film industry. And we sincerely thank you, Mark, for joining us. Uh, You're very welcome. So we want uh, you to help us understand the recently enacted Assembly Bill 5, which changes how non-union filmmakers must classify cast and crew as employees. The new law, as of January 1st in 2020, is California's AB5, Assembly Bill 5. It restricts the hiring of employees on a 1099 employers are now required to use what is called the ABC test to determine if an employee can be classified as an independent contractor. So can you give us an overview of the new law, please? Uh, Sure. And this new law doesn't apply just to non-union productions. It also applies to union productions, but most union productions already hire most people as employees, so it, it probably will have minimal impact on 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 them. Um, so the the California legislature passed this law to codify um, the principles of a recent 2018 court decision that's referred to as the Dynamax case, in which the Supreme Court revised a prior test called Borello for determining which workers are considered employees and which should be considered independent contractors. And the reason for this new law being passed by the legislature was to stop some label practices that that were considered abusive, namely companies in the gig economy like Uber and Lyft, um, who would hire drivers as independent contractors, deny them benefits that employees have, such as a minimum wage, overtime, rest breaks, and um, in addition, uh, employees, compared to independent contractors, have the right to form a union, um, and, and um, these are uh, certain benefits that independent contractors don't have. 
um, independent contractors uh, must pay all uh, Social Security and Medicare costs and are not eligible for unemployment insurance. Um, and consequently, Uber and, and other gig economies uh, companies prefer to hire people as independent contractors because, frankly, it's just cheaper for them. Um, also, they don't have to pay for health care or, or sick leave because they're independent contractors. They're not employees. So all the rules and protections that apply to employees don't apply if you hire someone as an independent contractor, assuming that you've properly classified them as an independent contractor. And that's where there's a lot of controversy because it's often difficult to distinguish who should be an employee and who should be an independent contractor. So Uber argued that its drivers were independent contractors because they could set their own hours and work whenever they wanted. Some of the drivers, on the other hand, argued that they should be considered employees because Uber tightly controls how they do their job. Uber and other gig companies uh, are fighting the law, by the way, and they, they will mount a ballot initiative in November 2020 uh, to exempt ride-sharing from this law, and $110 million has reportedly been raised to finance that ballot initiative. But that ballot initiative is not going to do anything for filmmakers. It's, it's just for Uber, Lyft, and, and you know those companies. So because the law is being contested <clears throat> um, and may, may be, to some extent, overturned, it's too early to predict the ultimate uh, outcome. Uh, the California Trucking Association says the, the law is unconstitutional and is pre preempted by the FAA, uh, which present, prevents states from enforcing laws and regulations, um, and uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. But basically, AB5, the new law that's been passed, creates an assumption for employers to consider all workers as employees unless the employer can prove the worker's role is an independent contractor according to the state's new criteria. Okay, so it, it puts basically a presumption, uh, a burden on the employer. So over the years, the, the law in this area has been changing. There was, there was actually a bill in 2012 which created penalties for employers who willfully misclassified workers as independent contractors. This, this uh, dispute, this controversy about who should be an independent contractor, who should be an employer, is not by any means new. Um, and, and most independent filmmakers, if they wanted to play it safe, would hire a payroll company and pay most, if not everyone, as an employee to avoid any potential uh, penalties. So the, the prior law was uh, SB 459, which was signed by Governor Brown, um, and uh, it, it enhanced it, that law enhanced the penalty for employers who misclassify personnel. Penalties range from 5,000 to 15,000 per violation. Uh, oh where, when, where there was a pattern or practice of violations, the penalty could increase from 10,000 to 25,000 per violation. So, the penalties can can be you know substantial. That, that that being said, my guess is there's an awful lot of independent filmmakers who misclassified people they hired, and it never never surfaced or came to light. So right. the new law AB5 basically restates the principles of the Dynamax court decision and expands it, but also adds some exceptions. So in some ways, the new law is less harsh than the court decision. In other ways, it expands it. Um, but the exceptions that are in the law that the legislature passed are not designed to affect the movie industry. 
So, so maybe uh, let me just take a step back and say that there's there's two types of law. There 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 is um, statutory law, which is laws passed by the legislature, you know, a state legislature or Congress, um, and um, the other type of law is what's called case law or judge-made law or the law of precedent. And this is this is the law that's found in various decisions of judges. And when a case is determined and appealed, the appellate court determines questions of law, such as how a statutory law is to be applied or what it means or be interpreted. And this creates a precedent that which other lower courts are obligated to follow or distinguish. Um, so the Dynamax court made a decision, and as a response, the California legislature enacted AB5, which affirms much of that decision, but also clarifies some matters and creates a few exemptions. Now, let's let's talk a little bit about what the difference is between an independent contractor and an employee, and why does the government even care how the person is classified? And the reason is taxes. Uh, the government taxes independent contractors differently from employees. With employees, a certain portion of their wages are withheld to pay taxes and Social Security. With an independent contractor, the contractor receives a check for the full amount, and the contractor has to remit you know, his or her portion that's owed to the government in the form of taxes. So the government is more likely to receive taxes if they were automatically taken out of an employee's paycheck than if the gross amount is paid to an independent contractor and then the independent contractor has to remit the taxes to the government. Um, and that's why, you know, the IRS takes the position that for most people working on film production, they should be classified as employees, not independent contractor. Um, they obviously want taxes withheld. withheld. If, the, if the person is being employed through a loan-out company, then the loan-out company will withhold taxes, and this should not pose a problem for the producer. Uh, moreover, if the person is being hired not just for their time, but but also equipment is being supplied, it is more likely to pass muster as an independent contractor. But simply calling a person you hire an independent contractor or using an in, uh, independent contractor form of contract does not by itself give you much protection. Yeah. So in, in determining whether or not an individual is providing service uh, as an independent contractor or an employee, uh, it could be basically distilled down to what's called the control test, uh, which is used. To put it simply, an employee is an individual who the employer has the right to exercise control over the manner and the means by which they perform their services, where as an independent contractor is sort of being hired for the end result. So if you hired a painting company to come and paint your house, they show up at your house they, they will often supply the paint, although you often you know get to choose the color. They supply the ladders, they supply the equipment, they supply the painters, and they paint your house, and maybe it takes a week, and then they leave. And you, the homeowner, you're not in the painting business, and you can just pay them as an independent contractor. They're in the painting business. And that painting company, if they hire people you know, to work for them, those people should be classified as employees. So in a movie the director pretty much controls how everyone on the set does their job. Uh, actors can't change their role. They can't decide when they want to show up. You know, everything is tightly, should be tightly choreographed. Otherwise, you know, the shoot's going to be a disaster. Exactly. <clears throat> oh, my goodness. So uh, let's go over that ABC test that they give us to make decisions. Could, can you tell us what that is? 
Yeah, so in, in the Dynamax case, the Supreme Court re- rejected the multi-factor test set forth in the previous decision, which is often referred to shorthand as the Borello case, in favor of this new ABC taste, case. This new, I'm sorry, this new ABC test, uh, which requires that the hiring entity, you know, to establish each of the following three factors to classify workers as independent contractors. In other words, the employer has to show these three factors, A, B, C, are present in order to properly classify someone as an independent contractor. The first is A, that the worker is free from the control and direction of the hiring entity in connection with the performance of the work, both under the contract for the performance of the work and in fact. B, that the worker performs work that is outside the usual course of the hiring entity, the employer's business, and see that the worker is customarily engaged in an independently established trade, occupation, or business of the same nature as the work performed for the hiring entity. So the Dynamax case applied the ABC test only to uh, wage orders and left undecided whether or not it applied retroactively. This new law passed by the legislature expands the ABC test beyond wage orders and creates specific exceptions and says the law can be applied somewhat retroactively. So let's talk about the exceptions. AB5 creates a number of exceptions to the ABC test. Uh, The bill provides that that, um, where the exception applies, the previous Borello test would would determine whether or not a worker is an employee. So if if a relationship falls within an AB5 exception, the nature of the relationship will be determined by the prior test instead of the ABC test. So AP5's exceptions fall into several different categories. There's certain exempt occupations, contracts for certain professional services, specific businesses, certain business-to-business contracting relationships, certain subcontractor relationships, uh, certain referral agency relationships, and certain motor clubs. Exempt occupations include insurance agents, doctors, attorneys, architects, engineers, security broker-dealers, investment advisors, direct sales of salespersons, and commercial fishermen. But there is no specific exemption for filmmakers or those who work in film or television. Wow, that's what the uproar is about. So, um, But you say, I just want to go back a minute, you're saying there's $110 million dollars that Uber uh, is, or that the car companies are putting together to uh, change this bill to make them exempt, right? So there is a lot of money going out there. Would you say there is a small chance that this might be uh, reversed, or that, or are they just trying to? No, get... I think there's, there's, I think there's a good chance it, it may be reversed because they're going to spend 110 million or more on this referendum it's going to go to voters in november so at the same time that there's a presidential election and probably high turnout people will show up and you know for the average person who likes uber and lyft and how cheap it is they they may vote for it but it doesn't affect the movie industry so so even if it passes it's not really going to change anything in the movie industry it would just be for them uh, they would right. become an exempt, uh, uh, along with uh, attorneys, et cetera, the ones you read off. No, no, attorney, attorneys, or, attorneys and doctors are already exempt. But right. this, new, this new referendum put up to a vote of the voters, you know, would, would basically allow Uber and Lyft to continue to hire people as independent contractors rather than as employees. So it's uncertain whether it will pass, but I think it 
you know, with all that money behind it and, and probably not as much money against it, it, I think there is a chance it would pass. Okay. But that doesn't help us at all. We're still out here trying to uh, figure out how to work within these laws. So, um, and all right, the next question then is, and most of these I've taken from filmmakers, and I so appreciate your helping us to, to get clarity on this. Uh, another filmmaker asks, how does AB5 affect non-union films? It, it affects both union and non-union films, but unionized productions already pay 95% of their workers as employees, not as independent contractors. And for this reason, the unions believe that this law does not affect them. The unions have also said that they don't think this law affects using loan-out companies, but some attorneys are not so sure. Um, for non-union employees who are paid as independent contractors, the, the employer can be liable um, the filmmaker can be liable if they are misclassified. So the safest thing to do, frankly, is to hire a payroll company and let the payroll company deduct, you know, taxes and Social Security, and and that's the safest way. But of course, it is it is an expense, and um, you know. But if you want to be safe, that's the best thing to do. Hire a payroll company. Well, you mentioned right. lo- loan out companies. So some of the filmmakers are wondering, should they create their own loan-out company, uh, like create an LLC or an S-Corp, or even a single-member LLC? So that's the next question. If they decided they wanted to become a loan-out company, what would you suggest they consider? Which type of a corporation? So are we talking about crew now, where people are being hired? Yes, well, um, it, it appears that they can they can set up a separate loan out company, which is considered a separate legal entity from them personally. And the purpose of loan out companies is basically to save on taxes. So when a let's say an actor sets up a loan out company, they usually own it 100 percent. It's often a corporation, and um, that when when they get hired by a studio, they say to the studio instead instead of hiring me directly as an employee. I want you to contract through my loan-out company for my services. So the, the studio hires, uh, enters into a contract with the loan-out company, which is 100% controlled by the artist, um, and they also get the artist to sign what's called an inducement agreement, which, which binds the artist directly to the obligations because, you know, companies can't act, only actors can act, and if the actor has a company and the company signed the contract and the actor doesn't show up, what what good does what remedy does the studio have? So there's a separate inducement agreement, you know, uh, there that binds the actor. And anyway, the long and the short of it is that you can set up a loan out company, and the loan out company serves as your employer. There's an employment agreement between you and your own loan out company. Now it may seem silly. This is a company you set up. You've chosen the name. You own it 100 percent, and it's hiring you as the employer. So the studio can pay a flat fee to the loan-out company, and the loan-out company hires you and pays you, but the loan-out company is your employer, and they're the ones who should be deducting and paying taxes. And so the loan-out company uh, does deduct the money from the actor and pays the taxes for the actor? Well, they, 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 they should be, you know. They should uh, be. They're, they're basically now the, the employer. Okay. They are the employer. Well, <clears throat> one of the questions is, is a sole proprietorship sufficient for the B2B exemption? 
or a fictitious business name, a DBA? Okay, well, a sole proprietorship, in the eyes of the law, is not a separate legal entity. So a sole proprietorship is just you, your name, you know, John Jones, you know, operating your business. There's no there's no separate legal entity. So if you sign contracts in your name, you're personally liable. On the other hand, if you set up a corporation and the corporation signs the contract, the corporation is liable. And if you haven't signed any guarantees, you know, uh, to guarantee the the obligations of the corporation, if there's a lawsuit, the corporation gets sued, not you personally. So a lot of people want to, if they're in the business, they want to set up a corporation or an LLC to give them some insulation because if things go bad and there's lawsuits and whatever, they don't they don't want um, their personal assets, their home, their car, whatever, to be liable. So as a sole proprietorship, even if you find it, a DBA is just a fictitious business name. So if your name is John Jones and you want to, you know, uh, call yourself uh, Serendipity Productions, you can do that. You just file the DBA with the county clerk, you know, basically disclosing that you're doing business under this make-believe name, uh, but it doesn't give you any legal protections at all, okay? And in fact, not only can people become use a DBA, but corporations and LLCs, they can be incorporated under one name, but do business under another name. But it okay. doesn't give you any, it doesn't limit your liability. It doesn't limit your liability, and that's no. the most important thing in our industry, right? Right. right. All right, so then another filmmaker asked, does a business license from your city count towards the professional service exemption, or does it need to be a state business license? The, 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 the business license by itself is, is not necessarily going to be you know, determinative. Of course, if you're claiming that you, you're operating a, a separate business and you have a business license, that, that somewhat confirms that you're operating your own, own business. So... So, you know, if you're a caterer, you know, and you have a business license because it's required by your local city, um, that will add support that you're a separate business and you didn't just go into the catering business for this one film shoot where you were hired and that it's an ongoing business. And this shoot, you're working for one company and two months down the line, you're working for another company and so on and so forth. In addition, though, of course, if you're in the catering business, that's not the movie business, that's the catering business. And so that meets one of the criteria of the ABC test that you're operating a separate business distinct from movie making. Right. That's great. Well, let's talk about labor versus gear rental fees. So for freelance cinematographers, it's customary to charge a day rate for labor and another rate for the rental, the gear and the prep for each job, the transport, and the insure. So um, can they receive a 1099 for their gear rental and a W-2 for labor on the same job? Yes, um, they, they can. I mean, when, when, you, when you rent equipment, you're not hiring someone. There's no, there's no employment relationship there. Because because you're not hiring someone. I mean, these rules about whether you're an independent contractor or a, a employee have to do with hiring people to do to provide services. When you're renting equipment, you're renting a car, you're renting a generator. <coughs> that's totally different. That's not an employment relationship at all. That that's a, a vendor who's selling you equipment. No no one thinks that when you when you uh, rent a generator that the generator is your employee. It's just a piece of equipment. So 
you know, when you rent equipment, these rules don't don't apply. If you if you hire a DP, let's say you hire a DP and the DP brings his or her camera along. Well, now that now there's a little bit more reasons to say that well, this DP is running his own business, and I'm not only hiring him, but I'm hiring you know I'm paying for his equipment. It's more likely to be considered an independent contractor if that's what he does you know, for a living, but there's still the problem that the DP and his equipment, they're, they're basically in the movie industry. So that would appear not to comply with all the three ABC factors. Okay. So if that, at that point, he should uh, bill for his equipment and his services separately, right? One becomes a, well, a yeah. W-9 yeah, and one is a 1099. <clears throat> right. Right, and, and you know when you rent equipment, you don't pay social security taxes. You you don't pay unemployment insurance taxes. You know, you 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 pay a certain amount. It's going to be gross income to the post house or the equipment house or whatever. Um, you know, and and they're an independent contractor, but but they're not an employee. Right. Okay. Got it. Oh, well, here's another good question. It says, part of the law says collaborating with the same people often could demonstrate that you are dependent on that one job and therefore an employee. What if you're working as an advisor and most of your work is for one company, but you have no call time and you can work when you set appointments? How would you classify this? Well, there's, there's gray areas here, and, and, you know, one of the problems with this whole scheme of treating employees and independent contractors differently is it's not always crystal clear whether someone is an employee or an independent contractor. They could fall in this gray area where it's not so clear, and there, so there's dangers. So my advice is if you're concerned about being fined, the safest thing to do is to hire them through a payroll company and then – you know, it, it, there's no one that's going to come after you if someone's an independent contractor, but instead you hire them as an employee and taxes are deducted. There's no there's no risks for that. It's only if you hire someone who's deemed an employee and you pay them as an independent contractor that you have some risk. Right. Well, <clears throat> the penalties you mentioned earlier are they still in effect? The five thousand up to twenty five thousand per. Um, Offense? As far as I know, they're still in effect. This, this AB5 hasn't changed them. It, it's possible that they've been changed, and I'm not aware of it, but my guess is they haven't been changed. So we'll assume at this point they haven't been changed. So you, you right. it's much cheaper for you to just abide by what they're saying you have to do until something different happens, until this is this law is amended to include the film industry or some change is made, the safest thing you can do financially is to either uh, start the loan-out company or just hire a payroll company. Right. The, uh, right. And, okay. But by the way, those penalties are for violating the law, but there could be additional penalties. So, for instance, if you hired someone – as an independent contractor, and they should have been employees, and they also worked a lot of overtime, now you, you might also be liable for violating the overtime statute, you know? So, so yeah, there could, there could be a whole, a whole bunch of potential problems. Oh, my gosh. All right. <clears throat> All right, so um, here's another, <laughs> another question. Um, part one 
of the letter I received said an option to consider is hire an entertainment law firm if your producer that has employment contracts in place drafted after 2020 you could potentially be subjected to tax penalties and lawsuits by both city and state of California so does this mean that even if you have contracts in place you could be fined if you were paid wrong yes the contract look when the courts look at a contract if the contract says this is a contract for the sale of a duck, but it's obviously what you bought instead was a chicken. The court's not going to be fooled, you know. <laughs> so if you if you say you know this person just because the contract says this person is an independent contractor, that doesn't make it so. If they should have been an employee, the contract's not going to fool anyone. Okay, so so it, it just having you know I'm not sure most independent filmmakers need to hire an entertainment law firm specifically for this, I would say hire a payroll company, you know, and and if you hire a payroll company, you'll probably be okay because this is exactly what the payroll company has expertise in. You know, if you're uncertain about what to do, yes, you could hire an attorney. But my guess is that, that most of the time, if you just had a payroll company, that would solve the problem. Okay. All right. Now, um, I've heard that I can hire people like DPs. This is from another filmmaker. I can hire people like DPs, et cetera, if they have their own LLC. But if they don't, I can't. Is that correct? No, No, that's not true. You can always hire hire people, whoever you want to hire. The question is, if you hire someone inappropriately, you may subject yourself to fines. But you you could always hire, you know, um, uh, a DP, if you want to minimize any risk for misclassification, hire them as an employee. But but you don't necessarily have to, you know, uh, uh, you, you know, you you can always you can always hire whoever you want. I mean, okay. you know, within reason. Obviously, you can't hire minors for something that they're not supposed to be doing. Right. Okay. Um, all right. So then, here's another question: If a potential DP does not have an LLC, could they shoot something and then get paid a flat fee for their footage rather than a fee for their time? Um, is that a possibility? Well, it's a possibility, but uh, once again, I don't think you're going to fool anyone if this if this uh, transaction is scrutinized. I don't think anyone's going to be fooled about it. You know. Um, the fact that you paid them on a, as a, on a flat fee basis—that I mean—that's really not going to going to going to fly. Okay. Yes, because you uh, uh, the state's going to get really tough on this. Is the point? They're going to really get tough. And well, I don't, I don't know. I don't. I don't know how much they're going to look. I don't know how much they're going to how how aggressively they're going to enforce this. To be honest, um, there's probably a lot of violations out there and going after small independent filmmakers is probably not the height of the list of of who they want to go after. You know, the government tends to go after, you know, major criminal enterprises. You know, there's no lack of of wrongdoing out there to go after. To, you know, to go after, you know, small independent filmmakers, it seems to me that that's not very likely, but there is there is some risk involved and and probably the government is is may not even realize what it is you're doing but if someone complains if someone who was paid as an independent contractor and should have been paid as an employer complains well then they're going to it's going to go to the labor department and then you know it will be revealed what you did and that's where you're going to have problems 
Yes. And big So, I mean, the, the thing is the thing well. is this, the, the real question is how much control do you have over that person that you're hiring? If if on a on a film set, the director and the producer tightly control what goes on. You know, people can't do their own thing on a film set. Everything is orchestrated, everything is scheduled. You know, the actors can't just change their roles. They can't just show up when they want. You know what I mean? They're clearly, you know, un- under the control uh, of the production. So so to claim that they're independent contractors is probably not going to work for most crew. Right. So in other words, actors uh, and most of the people on the crew were considered or should be considered employees then, even before AB5. Yeah. Right. Yes, even that's right. Even for for many years, for many years, you know, even before AB5, people who work on the crew, uh, uh, assuming, you know, you know, that you're controlling how they do their work, um, uh, that they have to show up at a certain time and do a certain task, and it's under your supervision, then they they should be classified as employees, not as independent contractors. Now, I mean, I suppose if you hired someone to go out and shoot footage of uh, skyscrapers, you know, and then license it to you or, you know, do it for you when they can shoot the footage when they want, where they want, however they want, maybe that's an independent contractor. But most people working on a set you know, it's tightly scheduled, and 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 uh, uh, you know, there's, 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 you're clearly under the control of the producer or the director. Right. Okay. Well, the, then, is there any position on the crew that would not be part of AB five? Well, I think you can make a strong case for for uh, the caterer. You know, it's in the catering business. I think you can make a case for a casting director who has his, his or her own company and works off-site out of their own office. I think the editor working for a post house or working at their own, you know, editing facility, uh, perhaps a composer who works off-site on his own schedule and is contracted just to deliver a score but isn't really, you know, there, you know, working under your control where you, we, you're basically just contracting for the end product. I think those people, you know, you can make a pretty decent argument that they're independent contractors, that they're not employees. So, and that might include a uh, uh, a color correctionist too. Well, if they have their if they have their own facility, their own own business separate and distinct from yours, um, you know, if you go to a lab and you hire a lab, they're not your employee. You're paying them a fee to do certain tasks, and and um, you know, I, I don't think anyone would consider them employees. Okay. Em- employees, you get to tell them how to do their job. You know, the the filmmaker, the director gets to tell the lighting person, the grip, the gaffer exactly how to do their job. You know, they they don't have a lot of discretion. You know, and and if the if the director doesn't like to shoot, they they say, okay, we're going to do another cut, we're going to do another take. You know, and and so in that in that situation, I think the, those people, you know, working on the set are clearly under the direction of the. Uh, of the production, but you know, if you hire a catering catering company and you pay them X number of dollars to supply food, there's some there's some control. I mean, you're going to specify in your contract what type of food, when it's going to be served, you know, um, you know what it's going to cost. But you know, the film the film making business is different than the catering business. The catering business makes food for people to eat. Filmmakers make films for people to watch. 
Right. Exactly. Okay. Well, let's get into this one. Um, is an off-site project uh, based, off-site project based, a good <laughs> test if the work is performed outside the production company's office or shooting on a location that might satisfy the control factor? What is this? Can yeah, you, help me you know, with that? as I said, if the casting director has their own office, you know. Uh, you could you can make that argument. The catering the catering company has its own office, separate and distinct from from the from the production. Um, if if they have their own facility where they do the work, then it's much more likely they, that that they would be considered an independent contractor than an employee. Right. Okay. So. Um... As a sole proprietor, do I need to establish an LLC immediately in order to build a case for a B2B exemption? No, not, not necessarily. Um, um, if you want to set up, if you're talking about setting up a loanout company, obviously you need to do it before you contract with a producer for your services. <coughs> you can't, the producer can't hire you through a loanout company. It doesn't exist. But, but, um, uh, it's possible to hire. I mean, if you hired a caterer who didn't incorporate or have an LLC, but they're in the catering business, then I think you can still make the argument, even though they don't have a separate legal entity, that they're a separate business. There are some people who run businesses, you know, um, that haven't incorporated or set up an LLC. Okay. Well, what about the California Franchise Tax Board? Would they be waiving LLC filing fees this year? Um, no, they, they don't waive LLC filing fees. Um, <clears throat> California will waive the minimum franchise tax for the first year of a corporation, the first year that it exists. So instead of the franchise tax, the minimum franchise tax on an income, uh, which is $800 a year, <clears throat> now California, because it wants to seem to be more business friendly, is saying that very first year for the corporation – you're just going to have to pay the taxes you're owed. You're not going to have to pay the minimum $800. Oh, that's good. <laughs> but it's only for corporations, not for LLCs. For of course, most loan-out companies are corporations. Okay. Well, Mark, do you think this new law will uh, reduce some of the shooting in California? I mean, if somebody uh, is a New York production company, but they want to shoot in California – uh, now they they have to comply with all this, so uh, that's going to add more onto their budget than they probably intended. So I I think it might restrict some of the the incoming productions. Well, maybe, but but I don't. If you have a California-based company, even if you're shooting out of state, um, I'm not sh sure these rules are going to be any different for you. If you have a California-based company, but if you have a right. Texas or a New York company and they want to come to California <clears throat> to take right. advantage of our scenery or something. Right, but I, I wouldn't necessarily assume that in Texas you, you, can, uh, you can hire everyone as an independent contractor and not an employee and not get in trouble. I, I think mo most states and the federal government both both want you to – treat people who should be considered employees as employees and withhold taxes. Uh, and that's going to apply, you know, anywhere in the United States. 
So okay. I'm not sure how big an impact it, it, it would it would have on on uh, shooting in California as compared to someplace else. I mean, okay. most, most California-based companies, <clears throat> they often hire a California payroll company, even if they're shooting part of or all of the movie abroad. Right, right. So it all goes back to find a good payroll company. It's the bottom line. That's the safest thing to do. Yes, it's the safest thing to do, but it, of course it's it, it's an expense, and some independent filmmakers making very super low budget films may may consider that a a significant burden because nowadays, you know, there are some filmmakers making films on their iPhones, you know, and uh, you know they're, they're making films on very very low budgets, and and paying the payroll company may may seem a burden to them. Yes. <coughs> Well, do you have any insights into why indie filmmakers were specifically written out of the law, uh, exemption clause? I, I don't. I don't know why. My, my my guess is that there was no entity lobbying for them um, uh, to be exempted from the law. Um, I, I think that um, you know there are other uh, occupations where um, they have organized advocacy groups that uh, probably intervened before AB5 was passed and lobbied for them to get an exemption. I'm not sure anyone did that for filmmakers. Right. Well, there are a lot of filmmakers joining together to describe the problems uh, that this creates for filmmakers in the hopes of getting this bill amended. Do you think it's worth the time and the energy to get involved in that? Do you think they have a chance? Well, the, 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 so this new law just makes it more difficult to misclassify people. It, it changes the criteria. But going back quite some time, basically people on the crew should have been classified as employees even before this law was passed. So even if this law was revoked, then you just go back to the Borello test, which also you know, ha- has a lot to do with control. So... I'm not sure, you know, uh, I, I mean, I find it hard to believe that anyone's going to convince the legislature to wholesale allow filmmakers to hire whoever they want uh, on, on cast and crew and, and pay them as independent contractors. I just don't think that's likely to happen. Okay. All right. <clears throat> well, tell me, are you speaking anywhere in the future that uh, where we can tell our filmmakers that you'll be? Yes, I'm giving. I, I, every year, I give a seminar for volunteer lawyers for the arts in Manhattan, in New York. <clears throat> I'll be giving mm-hmm. one this year on. I think it's June 19th. It's an all-day seminar on a Friday, and um, the uh, seminar hasn't been posted yet. But it, it, when when uh, the details are uh, worked out, it'll be mentioned on my website, which is www.marklitwack.com, which also has a lot of other information of, that might be of interest to filmmakers that they can uh, access. Okay. Could you give us your phone number and uh, what, how to reach you by email? Sure. My office phone number is 310-859-9595. And uh, we're in uh, Brentwood, which is in Los Angeles. And uh, my email is mark, M-A-R-K, at marklitwack.com, M-A-R-K-L-I-T-W-A-K.com. So it's basically my first name at my full name dot com. Even I, even I can remember that. <laughs> That's right. 
Thank you. I so sincerely appreciate your time today. This is a lot of information, and our filmmakers have gotten many questions answered. Thank you very much, Mark. You're very welcome, Carol, and thanks for all the work you do for independent filmmakers. Oh, it's a pleasure. I know you're there every day working and helping filmmakers. It's a great industry, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Best of luck. Thank you. Yes. Okay. Right. Really appreciate Thank you, Claire. It. Take good care. All okay. Right. You're Bye-bye. welcome. Be well, everyone. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N dot com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.